In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, remind you, just uh, again, I'm not going to review uh, last week. Last week is on our website, so you can listen to it. And uh, the handout is there. But remember that when Moses and what he was doing and he purposed in writing, uh, of course, Moses is, a, is given as the author for the first five books of the Bible uh, called the Jews, call it the Torah or the Pentateuch. Penta, uh, we get the word five from that, the Pentagon. Uh, Penta meaning five, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. Moses is the author of those first five books of Scripture. And one of the purposes that is important to be reminded of is the fact that when Moses uh, began to write the account in Genesis and, and, and of course, ultimately the last uh, uh, book in Deuteronomy before the Israelites went into the Promised Land, he is wanting them to have a sense of knowing that Moses would not be with them knowing that generationally, uh, even if he was going to go with them into the land of promise, uh, generationally, I mean, he would die and, and a new generation, Joshua, Caleb, and others would take over. But it was important for the Israelites who had been in captivity in Israel, or in Egypt rather, to, be, uh, to have a, a record that they, one of the uh, things that they were told when they went into the promised land was the importance of passing on truth to their children and their children's children. So it was important for Moses and the Lord for them to understand the unique covenantal nature of who they were as God's people, to know who God is, to know how they came into being, how all things came into being, and how they as a special people uh, under God and that relationship with him. So Moses, again, being the author, uh, reminded them the living in Egypt, they were surrounded by an idolatrous culture, uh, a culture that deified uh, uh, just about everything. Uh, you know, if you, when we uh, in, uh, get to the, that's, we've already done Exodus and we looked at the plagues, but all of those plagues that God poured out on Egypt as judgment, all of those parallel a particular Egyptian idol. And it was a demonstration that there's only one God and that he is the sovereign God of creation. And so Moses, in putting, putting these things and recording them under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, is wanting the people of Israel and the generations that would follow to have that as a permanent uh, record. Now, last week, the only thing I included in last week's uh, basically is the front first page of your new handout there. But I included that little chart there. We spent some time talking about that, and I'm not going to go over that again, but it's important as you look at the six days of creation, the six days of creation, and God rested on the seventh day, but the six days of creation, that uh, you could divide them in half, that the first days, one, two, and three, that God was forming what was needed. God formed, and you see that light was created, day one, day two, air and water, uh, day three, land and plants. He was forming um, part in his creation. He was making, uh, forming the structure, if you will, of these various pieces, and then corresponding with day one, 
was day four was when the lights were put into the heavens, uh, the air and the water. And God on the day five created the birds and the fish. We'll look at that a little bit today. And day three, land and plants, God made on day six animals and mankind. So uh, just notice that and be, you know, just see that the form and the what uh, what how God filled that. So let's look at day five. Uh, day five was where we just stopped last week because of time. Day five, verses 20 through 23, and God said, let the waters swarm with swarms of living creatures and let birds fly above the earth across the expanse of the heavens. Now remember, the Bible uses heavens in three different ways. There's the heavens that we would call the sky, and then there's the heavens the Bible refers to as the uh, atmosphere above or just right over the earth. And then there's the heaven, heavens, uh, heaven, uh, where uh, God's throne is. So heavens is used in different ways, and the context uh, always determines what, you know, how it's used there. So when it says that they were flying above the earth across the expanse of the heavens, they were flying in the sky. So God, verse 21, created the great sea creatures. Now, uh, I won't get into this, but, but many uh, believe that that part of that is when dinosaurs were created. I mean, there's no question dinosaurs uh, existed and that part of those creatures, any, any animal creatures were created on day five. And God created the great sea creatures and every living creature that moves. So everything is included in that with which the waters swarm according to to their kinds. Remember, we talked about this in uh, last week. How that phrase, "according to their kind," according to their kind, which pushes back on the idea of of natural selection or evolution. That uh, you know, there's uh, there is change. I mean, there's no question there is change within species, but it's always within that particular species. Dogs, regardless of whether they're chihuahuas or uh, poodles or uh, German shepherds, or they're all dogs, right? A dog doesn't leap and become a lizard, okay? Uh, a dog doesn't jump and become a giraffe. In other words, that's macro evolution, or no, micro, I always get them confused. Jim, you know, the, I always have to write it on, but one of those, scratch that, it's in your handout from that week. Uh, one of those speaks to change within the species. We certainly believe that, okay? There's changes. In fact, even breeding of different animals. Man has done that with dogs and bred a certain distinctive animal uh, within dogs or cats or whatever it is, but that's different than what the evolutionists would teach that we all generated from some type of... Uh, matter within the earth through billions of years, and that from that, uh, non-vertebrae animals uh, became vertebrae animals, and they crossed uh, barriers and lines of their species. Uh, that certainly is different than just the, what is alluded to or said, that God created things after their own kind. I guess that's kind of the, and we talked a little bit about that uh, last week. So uh, you see that in day five. And it says that that God saw, uh, verse 21, so God created the sea creatures and every living creature that moves. 
with which the waters swarm according to their kinds, and every winged bird according to its kind. Okay, Birds didn't become fish, and fish didn't become birds. And God saw that it was good, and God blessed them, saying, blessed the animals, all right? Bless them, saying, be fruitful and multiply and fill the waters in the sea and let birds multiply on the earth. So God gave assignment to the animal kingdom to be fruitful, multiply, fill that which he had formed, okay? And verse 23, and there was evening and there was morning the fifth day. And remember, we talked a little bit about the Hebrew word yom, which means day, but some scholars in, in determining the six days of creation says that when that Hebrew word is attached to a number, it refers to a 24-hour day. We'll see a little bit later. Like, well, you know, in Scripture, it talks about the day of the Lord. It's not necessarily talking about a particular day. It's talking about a period of time. But when Yom, the Hebrew, uh, is attached, has a number, then it refers to a 24-hour cycle of a day. And uh, that's... that's a uh, understanding of those that would hold to the six-day, 24-hour uh, cycle of creation. Notice a couple of things, and we're going to look at, in day six, we're going to look at uh, the creation uh, of man. But God is creating living creatures. He's creating living creatures to fill that which he has formed. And so on the fifth day, he created uh, the creatures of the sea and the creatures of the sky, And then on day six, we'll look at in just a moment, he created the land creatures, including mankind. Interesting that word created uh, in the Hebrew uh, means create. And it's interesting that it is used three different times in Genesis, always to signify uh, an accounting of of a new type or a new account of creation. For example... The Hebrew word, uh, and it's Beira, B-A-R-A is the transliteration of, of the Hebrew. I assume in Hebrew it might be a Bahra. You know, you've got to have, that, you gotta have that, that, that Hebrew sound there. But I won't, uh, I won't suggest that. But Beira, Beire actually is the literal. Uh, for example, in verse 1 of Genesis, uh, what did we see the Hebrew word Beire, uh, where it says, in the beginning, God, Beire, uh, the heavens and the earth. And that was signifying a beginning of a, of a type of creation that God was doing. In verse 2, he created the heavens and the earth. In verse 2, we see that, uh, uh, that the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. My translation doesn't. But um, was it verse? That shouldn't be right. I think that's a typo there. Um, but when... Uh, Oh, rats. I have the wrong reference here. Well, don't worry about the second place, but verse 26, he, well, he berated the animal, the living creatures, uh, not verse 2, but actually verse 20 or 22, uh, when, uh, in verse 20, 23, when we just read that. Uh, he uses the Hebrew word there is created again, referring to living creatures. So God created the heavens and the earth. Second form of creation, he created the living creatures, uh, Bayray, and then the third time it's used to signify a new type of creation, if you will, is when he created mankind, and God created man, and God made man. So just interesting that those words signify a 
aspect of creation that alerts uh, the reader, if we knew Hebrew, uh, that it would alert to a new type of creation. It's still all of God's creation, but he created the heavens and the earth, and he follows that with all that he created. And the second aspect of his creation is in verse 20 through 23, he created all the, um, the fish of the sea and the animal life. And then verse uh, 26 and 27, he creates the land animals and mankind, signifying again three different levels or, or progressions rather of God's creation. Uh, three groups, uh, or not, yeah, three, three different ways that that's used. But notice in verse 22, this is the first time this is, this is uh, used, and uh, it is verse 22, and God did what to the creation, these, uh, the birds and the sea creatures? What did he do? It said he blessed them. We see the blessing of God. Now, we see the blessing of God and, uh, uh, you know, he blessed Noah and his family. Uh, he, one of the things of uh, the Abrahamic covenant was that he blessed Abraham, and through his seed, all the nations of the earth will be blessed. So, the blessing and favor of God. So, the point is, is that God saw what he had done as good, and he blessed it, and he gave it the assignment for it to be fruitful and to multiply. I love uh, Psalm 104, verse 24. I'm not sure if I, uh, yeah, I have it written out there. Uh, says, O Lord, how manifold are your works. In wisdom you have made them all. The earth is full of your creatures. Here is the sea, great and wide, which teems with creatures innumerable, living things both small and great. And it goes on to extol the creation of God. You know, I remember going to Chicago and going to the Museum of Natural History, and uh, just the title gives you a heads up of their view of creation. But yet it still is an amazing thing when you, if you're watching National Geographic or the Discovery Channel or some of those, uh, you know, Nova or some of those programs and, and, and doing the uh, studies, whether it's the creation of animal life or outer space or whatever, that again, somebody can look at all of that and see the orderliness, see the variety, see the uniqueness of creation and still come to the conclusion that all of this has just happened by kind of a random chaos through time. Uh, somebody gave, uh, I remember reading, maybe it was in Josh McDowell's book, but talking about the probability and, or just the absurdity of, of evolutionary ideas of creation and uh, gave the picture of uh, blowing up a printing shop and then leveling in the debris or what would be left in the debris would be an entire 24-set volume of encyclopedias perfectly categorized and organized and bound and meaning the absurdity of how uh, chaos results in order. We live in, um, and I believe it's some of you scientists, entropy that our, our, our world, our, the creation is devolving. It's not evolving. You understand? It's breaking down. My body, I'm well aware on a daily basis, my body is breaking down, right? It is not what it used to be, you know, in my 20s. And so creation uh, doesn't move from chaos to order. Uh, it, it moves from order to entropy or the breakdown. Uh, so again, God affirms and the scripture is very clear that God is the creator. Again, we talked about different ways that I think are legitimate biblical ways to understand 
the mechanics of creation to maybe, you know, to have different understandings where we certainly uh, want to shine light on where we can gain understanding and knowledge from Scripture, uh, not to go beyond and uh, import maybe different ideas than Scripture allows, but there are certainly um, some variety of ways that I think are legitimate ways that does not uh, rob God of His uh, sovereign creation, does not uh, in any way uh, devalue uh, the authority of Scripture, and again, we've we've talked about that in the couple in the past few weeks. And if you, again, you can go back online and review those. And I'm not even sure. Uh, I think that was maybe week two. I'm trying to remember if last week we talked about it a little bit. Uh, we may have. So, but look at day six. Day six. Day six. And this is the creation. <clears throat> of animal life and human life. Verse 24, Genesis 1, this is day 6. And God said, Let the earth bring forth living creatures according to their kinds. Livestock and creeping things. That's where the creeps came in. And creeping things and beasts of the earth according to what? Their kinds. And it was so. And God made the beasts of the earth according to their kinds. And the livestock according to their kinds. And everything that creeps on the ground according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. Even the snakes that you don't like. Even the rats and mice that I can't stand. God saw that it was all, what? Good. He called it good. In verse 26, then God said... Let man, or let us make man in our image after our likeness. And let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the heavens, and over the livestock, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. Verse 27, so God created man, bara, or bera, uh, created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him, male and female, he created them. And God blessed them and said to them, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. And God said, Behold, I have given you uh, every plant yielding seed that is on the face of the earth and every tree with seed in its fruit. You have them for what? For food, And to every beast of the earth and to every bird of the heavens and everything that creeps on the earth and everything that has breath of life, I have given every green plant for food. And it was so, verse 31, and God saw everything that he had made and behold, it was good. And there was evening and there was morning, yom, the sixth day. Okay, so here we come to the sixth day. God had formed the sky, he had formed the heavenly uh, atmosphere. He filled it with the flying birds, uh, and uh, he had filled those things, uh, and he made man. First, he formed the seas and filled it with sea creatures, and then he formed the earth, and he filled it with animals. He filled the land with animal life, and then he created mankind. A couple of things I want you to pay attention to here is again the distinctiveness that God's word makes between animal life and human life. 
Okay, the distinctiveness in the creation between animals and humans. Okay, and we'll see that uh, in, in just a minute. Um, look at verse, I think I have verse 2, verse, uh, chapter 2, verse 7 as part of this. I'll read it, and this is uh, a bit of a commentary or a synopsis of what God had done in verses 24 through 31, where it says, The Lord God formed the, man of, formed the man of dust, formed him of dust from the ground, and God breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living creature. Something we don't see that God did with the animal life. God created the animals, God created the birds, God created the fish, but he created humankind, he created mankind, and he did something unique with man, forming him from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils. Uh, man, you know, of many funerals, uh, I will say to, you know, returning dust to dust and earth to earth, uh, that, that our bodies, uh, we were made uh, and created by God, but what, it, what lives inside of us uh, what is given to us by God is a spirit. God is spirit. But it's interesting that like the man, animals form, are formed out of the dust of the ground, out of the dirt of the ground. And Ecclesiastes 3, uh, which is on your outline there, uh, explains why both bodies of humans and animals return back in the decay of the human body upon death when the life source leaves uh, when we die why uh, animals and humans uh, out of the same substance but certainly different in their creation Ecclesiastes 3 for what happens to the children of man and what happens to the beasts is the same as one dies so dies the other they all have the same breath and man has no advantage over the beast. He's just talking about uh, in, a, in a living sense, not in a spiritual sense. Solomon says, for all is vanity, all go to one place, all from the dust, and to dust all will return. But that's kind of where the similarity uh, ends, because humans are different. Mankind is different. God, according to Genesis 2-7, that he formed the man from the dust, and he breathed into his nostrils. Remember again, uh, God does not have lungs, but that's a human description. We, remember we had that big fancy word called anthropomorphism, and that's just a fancy word, anthro, anthropology. It's just giving a human description of an action of God. When we talk about the ear of God, the hands of God, is that a giant hand? It's just, it's just the, way we, it's the way we can picture things. It's the way we can understand things. And so when it talks about God breathe, it means that God imparted His living spirit within the substance of what he had made. And unlike the dogs and the cats and the giraffes and the chickens and all that, man became a living being. He bore or, or was given a living spirit or soul, if you were, uh, by God. That's what, again, the Bible makes that clear distinction in Scripture that man is uh, created certainly in a similar fashion from the animal life, but yet he is not an animal. He is an image bearer created in the image of God. Human beings are different. Now that's kind of a different, 
that's a different take on where an understanding of natural selection or evolutionary, or evolutionary theory would have you to believe about man's origins because their viewpoint, that theory, and that understanding, and that belief system sees human beings as what? Image bearers of God that have a living soul uniquely created by God? Or what would be their, what would be their take? Huh? From animals. But, but again, from just evolving. So what's the ramifications? What's the, what's the ultimate ramifications of a society uh, that is spoon-fed from the time that they are in school that they are nothing more than, a, than an animal? Huh? At the end, it ends, right? Just like Lee Strobel says, like shutting the door of the refrigerator, just the light goes off, right? What would you say, Sally? Nothing matters. Why should it? Because I'm just a random accident of nature. A freak of nature, right? What else? What are, what are the, might be the ramifications and an idea of just, hey, we're just, we're just all animals? And that's why human beings in the womb can just be... Uh, you know, have a the um, you know given a term as a fetus or tissue or you know, and again, once you once you uh, break something down to where it loses any sense of moral capacity, that's what the Jews did, or the Nazis did with the Jews, that they weren't human, you know, they actually were vermin, and so therefore, a, a culture that was was developed in that, especially generations that grew up with that way of thinking, it became very normal and natural. Well, why wouldn't we exterminate them? You know, they're a danger to society. Why wouldn't I kill that life in the womb? It's not really life. It's not human life. It's just tissue. Uh, there's no real meaning. And that's why the ultrasound has, had really turned the whole, that whole process uh, on its head, so to speak, because all of a sudden a woman's going in to get quote-unquote counseling or some information at the woman's choice, and she is abortion-minded, but she, in most cases, they have to have a, uh, an ultrasound before they can even go to a Planned Parenthood, at least they're supposed to, and uh, she looks on that ultrasound, and all of a sudden she sees a life form that has head, arms, possibly even at certain junctures, genitalia on a male child. I mean, all of a sudden, what are they seeing? They're seeing a human being... And that has, that has often been the deal breaker of saving life. Not always, but, but humans are distinctly different. Why, and you've kind of alluded to this or said it in different ways, but why, why has Satan been so intent on breaking and destroying that uniqueness of what God has done in making mankind? And I'm using mankind in a human sense, not, you know, it's, and we'll talk about the male and female in a minute, but why, why, why again, why has that been such a, such an intense battle in the culture uh, that if you can destroy that distinction, um, you know, I guess it's like you said, nothing matters, there's no meaning in life, you know, we're just all here by random chance. 
no better than animals. So why are we shocked when a person acts like, you know, and in some cases you actually see animals that act better than human beings, you know? Um, Right. Well, as much as we want to uh, believe that, again, I'll get in trouble, but it's the truth. As much as we love Fifi and thinks that uh, my Murray can talk to me, uh, which is another discussion of mental health, maybe. But uh, and, you know, parrots can mimic uh, language. But but again, Animals are not image bearers of God. They are creations. They are created by God and a gift of God. But there's a, a distinction. Look at, um, look at verse uh, in your, uh, your Bible. Hopefully you brought your Bible. This is Bible study. Uh, verse 26. Notice a couple of things here. That this creation of the first man, human, is a unique occasion. And there seems to be a consultation, if you will. Verse 26. Then God said, let us make man in our image, after our likeness. Now, that suggests a couple of things. Some people might would say, well, the hour, plural, God is referring to angels, the heavenly beings. But angels are not made in the image of God. So what I think, and, and many think that there, again, there is an, a definite uh, substantive uh, connection here is the name of God is the name Elohim. Now, the covenantal name of God that is used in most of Scripture is the name Yahweh. Jehovah is not a proper uh, tr translation. It's Yahweh, and there's a whole reason behind that. But anyway, Yahweh, the name of God. But here in creation, when it says, and God said, let Elohim, and Elohim said, that Elohim in the Hebrew has is a name of God that has a plurality to it. Not in any way suggesting multiple gods, but that the name of God, singular, notice, and God said, singular, God, let us uh, create man or make man in our image after our likeness. So what is concealed in the old is often revealed in the new. So in the New Testament, in our fuller understanding, uh, we would see this as a hint of what? About the nature of God. The Trinity, Father, Son, Holy Ghost. All right? When he says again, let our, let us make man in our image. Uh, you could carry it if you uh, wanted to, to the fact that many have suggested that mankind is a, uh, I think it's tripartite or tripartite Triparterate, I think that's the word. But you don't know any more than I do, so I'm safe, right? Um, being, which is body, soul, and spirit. 
Um, again, soul and spirit, I think, I, per, I think are distinct. Soul being the seed of your, your personality, right? Your spirit, that's again, that's what when we die, our, you know, the spirit lives. God is a spirit. When God breathed within uh, the formation of, of this substance that he formed as man and God breathed his spirit, man became a living creature, became a living being. And certainly body, we have a body. And the body is, again, is made from the dust of the ground and to the ground it will one day return. So again, you could, you could uh, uh, see that three-part aspect in who we are as creation. Uh, animals have bodies and, uh, and I don't want to say souls in the same way human beings, but there certainly is a, a dynamic in the personality of the life form of a, of a creature, but they do not have a spirit. Uh, when the animal dies, the animal is dead. The animal is not resurrected. I know some of you are overly concerned about animals in heaven. Certainly, I think, in the new heaven and the new earth, certainly animals will uh, be part of the repopulation there. But animals do not die. They're not up floating around across the rainbow bridge, is like we uh, want to believe. And I don't want to take anything away, because I probably cried no harder than anybody when I had to take my two animals and put them to sleep, you know? I mean, it was a horrible thing. But, but to be biblical, you can't associate and connect uh, animals with having a spirit. Uh, one of the things that uh, animistic religions like Native American religions and, and others, they attribute godlike and deified or spirit qualities to animals. You know, the, the spirit of the wolf, the spirit of the fox, you know, and all these things. That's something that is part of false religion. And uh, Egypt and other false religions would attach. You remember seeing many times some of the uh, godlike uh, designs and structures in Egypt where they were kind of a half animal, half human being type of uh, design and structure. But biblically speaking, God makes a clear demarcation between animals and image bearers of God. Okay, that's a clear distinction. But yet he says these animals are good. He blessed them. So there's nothing wrong with enjoying the blessing and enjoying the good of your little Murray or whatever it is that you have. They're great gifts of God. But don't confuse, uh, don't confuse these two. The word formed in verse 7, how God formed. Look in your Bibles over to Psalm 139. Turn in your Bibles to Psalm 139. I ought to start calling on people to read. That way people will bring their Bibles. And by the way, we give you an out. There's always a Bible in the back. So, uh, and you're welcome to use that. Psalm 139. I love this. Psalm of David. O Lord, you have searched me and known me. You know me. You know when I sit down and when I rise up, you discern my thoughts afar. You search out my path and my lying down and are acquainted with all my ways. Even before a word is on my tongue, behold, O Lord, you know it all together. 
And I always say, Lord, why don't you help me stop? Before, if, it's, if you know what I'm going to say, uh, how about you just paralyze it for about five seconds? Anyway, verse 5, you hem me in behind and before and lay your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is high. I cannot attain it. Where shall I go from your spirit? He says, and of course, if I ascend to heaven, verse 8. But look down at verse 13. For you formed, formed my inward parts. And look at this. You, I'm reading from the ESV. You knitted me together. Do you see a, do you see a, uh, a detail? Do you see a, almost an artistic type of creation? Happening here, you knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Verse 15, my frame was not hidden from you when I was being made in secret. Look at the language, at least the ESV I'm reading from intricately woven in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed substance. And in your book were written every one of them, the days that were formed, designed for me, when as yet there was none of them. Cannot mistake of God's creation. But what has happened, and we'll see this uh, probably next week, we'll start it, or maybe the following week, but what sadly has happened to Humans as image bearers of God. We'll get ahead of ourselves, but what's mankind and humankind are still image bearers, but what has happened to that image? Is it as pristine and shining as it was when God made it? No, the Bible says that sin has marred that image bearer. Uh, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. We no longer perfectly reflect the glory of God. Paul would say in Romans 5.12, Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man, speaking about Genesis 3, and death through sin, death spread to all men because all sin. And we'll unpack that in a little bit later. Let me uh, give you some important, quickly in the time that we have, let me give you several uh, important truths to make note of regarding the origin of humanity, humankind here. I think there's uh, five of them that uh, we'll uh, briefly or run through quickly. Number one is that we were created by God. I think we've established that we were created by God. We are not the products of some galactic accident. We are not the products of a mutation over millions of years up or down, depending on your perspective of the evolutionary ladder. Paul would say, quoting actually a Greek writer, but he writes or he quotes and says, speaking about God, that in him we live and move and have our very being. We were created by God. Secondly, we were created in God's image. There's a Latin phrase, uh, the Imagio Dei, uh, which again speaks about we are all image bearers of God. Some of us, I mean, regardless of, again, sin marring all of the image bearers, yet regardless of a person regarding 
whoever they are. There's a, they are image bearers. They are all uh, reflecting of being created by God. Uh, sometimes we might say, well, that person is nothing more than an animal. Well, they are more than an animal. Even they may be exhibiting depravity at its ultimate worst behavior. They are image bearers of God. Thirdly, we were created, human beings were created to have dominion over the earth. To be, that we were created to rule and to reign. Uh, take your Bibles and turn to Psalm 8, verses 1 through 8. Psalm 8, verses 1 through 8. If you're in the Psalms, just hang a left. Psalm 8, verses 1 through 8. God created the first humans to be regents, to be, you know what a regent is? They are managers, they are uh, under the authority of the sovereign to exercise his will and purpose. Uh, in a given situation or a country, uh, a regent. Uh, humans, mankind was created to be the first regents, the first authoritative uh, rulers, if you will, under the rulership of the Lord. Psalm 8, verses 1 through 8. O Lord, and if you see that capitalized, that's signifying in the English, the Hebrew word for Yahweh. O Yahweh, our Lord, lowercase, our Lord, our, our authority, Yahweh being the pro, a name of God, but the next, our Lord, uh, is just signifying the title, if you will. How majestic is your name in all the earth. You have set your glory above the heavens. Again, that's more than the sky, more than the atmosphere, above the heavens, above all creation. Out of the mouth of babies and infants, you have established strength because of your foes to still the enemy and the avenger. When I look at your heavens, notice your heavens, the work of your fingers. Do you just see the, the handiwork, the language, the moon and the stars which you have set in place? He says it's humbling. Verse 4, what is man? Who am I that you are even that you are mindful of him? And the son of man that you care for him. The son of man being not a name of Christ. But the son of man as God's sons. Verse 5. Yet you have made him a little lower than the heavenly being. The heavenly beings rather. The angels. And crowned him. See the uniqueness. Crowned him with glory and honor. You have given him dominion over the work of Works of your hands. You have put all things under his feet. All sheep and oxen. Also beasts of the field. The birds of the heavens. And the fish of the sea. Whatever passes along the paths of the seas. And you know when you see and understand about the new creation. What is the new creation? The new creation is not a rehabilitation of the old. But the new creation of a new heaven and new earth. Basically is to put. And restore back to what God originally made and created. It's not going to be heaven off in the by and by. It is the new heaven and the new earth. With King Jesus ruling and reigning. As, as the Lord walked with uh, the first 
human beings in the cool of the garden, in that perfect environment, uh, that will be a return back to what God originally has designed and God has purpose. And so better understanding of the new heaven and the new earth uh, comes into play when you understand what God's original design was with his creation. He didn't abandon his purpose over creation just because man fouled it up. He didn't say, well, that, that didn't work. So now we got to do, you know, no. It's going to return back because Psalm 24.1 says, the earth is the Lord's in the fullness thereof. Right? Interesting, some of let's say suggested, done more than that, that Adam and the animal creation were not carnivores, but they were vegetarians and only began to eat flesh after the flood. What does it say in verse 29 and 30? The Lord says in Genesis 1, Behold, I have given you every plant yielding seed that is on the face of all the earth, every tree with seed in its fruit. And he goes on. And to every beast of the earth and to every bird of the heavens, verse 30, and everything creeps on the earth. In other words, I've given you everything among the vegetation to eat. But then when you read in Genesis 9, which is after the flood, God spared Noah and his family in a replenishment of the earth. The Bible says God blessed Noah and his sons, Genesis 9, 1 through 4. And he says in verse 2, the fear of you... And the dread of you shall be upon every beast of the earth and upon every bird of the heavens, upon everything that creeps on the ground and all the fish of the sea. Into your hand they are, to, they are delivered. Genesis 9, 3. Every moving thing that lives shall be food for you. Now one perspective in seeing a new kingdom in the fulfillment of return of Christ and that new kingdom of God that will be fulfilled in a new earth. Isaiah eleven seven suggests that it will be a return to a non-carnivore or flesh-eating diet. Apparently there's going to be a diet because if we're on earth. We need, we'll have resurrected bodies. Resurrected bodies need replenishment. So these bodies are for our earthly existence. But it will be a new earth recreated under the redemptive purposes of God. Isaiah eleven seven. Remember, uh, in this kingdom, this kingdom verse, this kingdom future of when uh, Jesus returns and establishes a literal physical kingdom on a in a new earth. It says, "The cow and the bear shall graze; their young shall lie down together, and the lion shall eat straw." Like the ox. The lion and the lamb will dwell together. So go to Longhorn while you can. Fourth, fourth. This wonderful creator deserves our worship. He looked and saw that it was very good. It was very good. The creation that God had made, it was very good. Revelation 4.11 says, Worthy are you, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power. For you created all things, and by your will they existed and they were created. Revelation 
11. So when you pray and give God thanks for the food, you're giving God thanks for the good creation. And just by way, aren't you glad gave us some variety of tastes? He could have just made everything and given everybody little pills to take, and that would have been your nutrients. Or everything's just going to taste like cardboard. You wouldn't have known any different. You wouldn't have said, ah, this tastes like cardboard, because you wouldn't know what cardboard tastes like. You just think this is food. And I always say the manna, uh, exactly, that it was a taste of coriander seed, and does it say honey? I'm, I may have made, but it, but it had flavor to it. The manna. He didn't have to do that. Bitter water made sweet. You're thirsty enough, you'll drink all sorts of water. And I, you know, we won't go there, but... But he made the bitter water sweet. He put taste in manna. All created by God. Right? Fifth, in light of God as creator, as regents under, even though the creation has fallen, we are to be good stewards of creation. Now I think that there are certainly extremes where uh, many Things under the guise of environmentalism as almost a pantheistic religion of worshiping Mother Earth. To where uh, the Bible, even though it says that the creation, that man was to have dominion of it, uh, let me say it this way, and I think I may have it in your outline, is that mankind is not a servant of creation, but a servant of or rather, I'm sorry, that's a typo there. It should be a steward. See that in your outline there? Scratch out the second servant. There should be a steward. Mankind is not a servant of creation, but a steward of creation. Do I believe that we should have fresh, clean water? Do I believe Flint, Michigan needs to have clean water? Do I believe East Palestine, Ohio, with that trend, that, that we should... Get on the stick and fix. What are they doing hauling? You, you know, you hear trains and stuff going by and stuff flying over you. You have no clue of what's being traveling around your life and neighborhood and all that. Uh, so we should use the best studies and science and wisdom to maximize and have a clean environment and protect nature. But, you know, when we're trying to decide for the good of mankind or we want to protect a little a little salamander that may go out of existence because we're going to drill here. We have to weigh the balance of what's more important, humanity or a little salamander. I don't know about that. That was the first creature that came to my mind. We certainly can go to extremes. The last thing is, or that was the last thing on the fifth. Psalm 145.9, the Lord is good to all. And of course, we won't talk a lot about this. We'll maybe do it another time when we get to it. But notice the day seven. Let me just wrap this up. That on the seventh day, there was no work. That's why we say six days of creation. And on the seventh day, God rested. He didn't rest because he needed a nap. It was a rest is the picture of God's completeness. Notice the language of Genesis 2, 1 through 3. Do I have that on your handout written out? Thus the heavens and the earth were, what? Finished. And all the host of them. And on the seventh day, God finished His work that He had done. Past tense. 
And he rested on the seventh day from all his work that he had done. So God blessed the seventh day and made it holy, sanctified it, set it apart. Because on it, God rested from all his work that he had done in creation. Don't miss the completion, the fulfilled or the finished aspect of all his work. Uh, let me make this note here. I thought this was a good statement here. I don't remember who said it. Uh, so just put my name on it. Uh, no, I didn't create it. Listen, it says present processes in the universe reflect God's sustaining that completed creation. There's not more creation. God finished. What we see the activity of nature and God's creation is the, is the God who, uh, according to Colossians, I have that scripture there about Jesus. And it says in verse 17 there in Colossians 1, and he is before all things and in him all things hold together. That's said about Jesus. It said by him all things were created in heaven and earth. Verse 16. Hebrews 1.3, he is the radiance of the glory of God. And again, I always want to try to make sure I tie in Christ in Genesis. He's the key to everything. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. And he, Christ, upholds the universe by the word of his power. After making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. And so God has completed his work. There's not a continual evolutionary processes yes there's always there's always can be changed but god has finished his work he has completed his work it's complete and god looked at it and said it was good and he blessed the seventh day and later that became important in the law as the fourth commandment of keeping the sabbath day which is seven sabbath means seven Sabbath is not Sunday. Sabbath means seven. Um, and why that was distinctive to the Jews. And uh, because God rested on the seventh day. So any quick, quick comments, thoughts? Want to talk about vegetarianism? Yeah. Yeah.